Good morning. It's June the 6th, 2021, and you're with the McGregor Evangelical Mennonite Church. Welcome to our worship service. worship this morning is from Psalm chapter 25, beginning at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the commands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, although it is great. 
It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This is my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, it has been a tough week. At the beginning of it, we were met with this terrible news of the graves found at the residential school in Kamloops, a residential school that was run by your church. And Lord, we are still processing this. We are still trying to wrap our heads around it. And we acknowledge that there are impulses in us to try to blame it on others or that it was a different time. Anything that we can in order to not see the fact that it was still your church that did this horrible thing. Our God, we pray, please forgive us in all of the ways that we need forgiveness for this atrocity. Please forgive us for all of the things that we may not even recognize in ourselves that could lead to such a horrible thing. And please open our eyes wide as day to what they are. Our God, help us not to just forget this as the news cycle goes on. Help us not to just Push it to the side as the next thing comes up. There is real injustice here that we are called by you plainly to address. Our God, though this happened many years ago, nevertheless we see that it is still happening. Every day in how we look at other people, how we see those who are not in our minds one of us, 
God, we pray, help us to get our house in order. Our God, all too often the temptation is real. The temptation to think that because we are here, we are believers of what you have done, that somehow that elevates us above other people. Somehow that allows us to look down on them. Somehow that allows us to force what it is that we think is right upon them. We find ourselves far too often as the fakely righteous that you have warned us not to be time after time. And so God, we pray, humble us. God, we pray, do away with this drive in us. Do away with whatever it is that is in us that causes us to want to be God's lording everything over everyone around us. Lord, please help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Our gospel reading for this morning and the sermon text is from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1 and reading to verse 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of God for God's people.
Welcome to the fourth in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are covering the passage that we have likely all heard more than any other, the teachings on how to be righteous, which include the Lord's Prayer. But in order to do that well, there are two things from past weeks that we need to have a super quick refresher on. First, remember what we learned about what the Beatitudes are. They are both a commandment for how we should try to live, as well as they are a list of the people that Christ is all for. In broad terms, they are the poor, the mourning, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the righteous, the pure-hearted, and those who are persecuted. It is for these people who are the least among us now who the coming kingdom of heaven will see lifted up. And as such, we Christians who are tasked with helping to build this coming kingdom, it is these same people that we are to be all for as well. And second, Two weeks ago, we learned how to understand the teachings in the second part of the Sermon on the Mount, the part that we still find ourselves in today. These teachings are to be understood as being in three parts. The first is a common wisdom that people live by that is usually just taken for granted, usually not even thought about. The second is a criticism that Jesus has of this wisdom that is causing the world to be a terrible place for the people we are supposed to be living for. And the third are solutions to this problem that Jesus has. This is the lightning fast summary that we need in order to jump right into our passage today. And so with that out of the way, let's now look at what the sermon has to say about being righteous. And as we do that, right off the hop, we actually see something interesting is going on because while talking about righteousness, Jesus chooses to link this topic to three things, charity, prayer, and fasting. Now, have you ever read this passage and wondered, why is that? Why is it that Jesus, when tackling what it means to be righteous, to be godly and upright, immediately links righteousness to talking about how to give, how to pray, and how to fast? When I've come across this passage in years gone by, I found that this puzzled me somewhat because what is it that these three things have to do with righteousness? Because make no mistake about it, in our passage today, Jesus is linking these three things back to that, back to how to be righteous, godly and morally upright. And you can see this in how our passage today is structured. For right off the bat, we are given an introduction in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you are reading this introduction in the three-part way that we have understood these teachings are meant to be read, then in this we see our first part, our common wisdom. For in Jesus' day, it was somewhat expected that if you were a righteous person, then you were going to demonstrate that to all the people around you. That was seen as something that the true elite, the true religious leaders of the time did. And we know from other stories told by Jesus that this was a fairly common thing because it it is addressed quite a number of times. Think of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18, 9 to 14. There, both men are praying in front of the temple and the Pharisee goes on at length about how holy he is. But the tax collector, in contrast, prays directly to God alone in humility. The takeaway being that the truly righteous man is the tax collector for reasons that we will understand better in just a bit. But then the introduction goes on to the second part of the teaching where Jesus lays out the problem with doing exactly this kind of thing, rubbing your righteousness in everyone else's face. 
If you do this, Christ says, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Why is it that no reward will come for those who show off their righteousness? Well, soon we will see. But it is in the third part of this teaching where we see the line drawn, the link made between righteousness and charity, prayer, and fasting. For to the question of how we can address this problem of people shoving their fake righteousness down other people's throats, Jesus gives us not one, not two, but three groups of solutions. You can see them beginning in verses 2, 5, and 16. To address this problem, to do away with this fake righteousness, and to get in its place the real thing, to become an actual righteous, godly, and upright person, Jesus tells us in this passage today that you need to rethink what it means to be charitable, what it means to pray, and what it means to fast. And with that, the link between these four things is made pretty clear. But again, why is there a link here in the first place? I found myself wondering this for years. Why is it that to fix the problem of fake righteousness and in doing so to get the real thing, why is it that we need to address these three things? After all, isn't being righteous just a matter of being a godly and morally upright person? Well, if that's true, then I suppose it would make sense in my head as to why that second item is on the list, the part of the passage that deals with prayer. I mean, sure, if you want to be a godly and upright person, a righteous person, prayer makes sense to be a part of that list. After all, it's kind of hard to be godly if you don't actually talk with God. So fine, that makes sense. But why then, I found myself asking, is fasting on this list? In my church growing up, just as it was for many an evangelical church in the 90s and early thousands, fasting wasn't really something that we did or even spent much time talking about. Fasting was at most about raising money for world vision at 30-hour famine. So why I always came back to wondering was this a key to righteousness in Jesus' mind? And that brought me to the even more puzzling item on this list, charity. For Jesus seems to insist in this passage that charity is a key to being a righteous person. Not just a key, but a cornerstone. It's the first thing that he mentions that needs to be addressed in order to confront this issue of fake belligerent righteousness. Why in the world is charity in this position of importance on this list? Sure, as Christians, it is important for us to give, but as Christians, it's important for us to do a lot of things. So why is this item here? It just always seemed a little misplaced to me. But thankfully, it turns out that Jesus knows a little bit more about how to be righteous, godly, and upright than I did, than I do. Because there is something that these three things do have in common. Charity, prayer, and fasting. There is something that these three things have in common if you are a follower of God. And that is that for each of them, they are an expression of your relationship with God. For when you pray, what are you doing? You are talking to God. And in doing so, you are living out a direct relationship with him. When you fast, what are you doing? Well, this one is a bit more removed from my experience today, but you are choosing to give up something as important to you as life-giving food in order to refocus and reconnect with the giver of true life. You are again in a direct relationship with God. You are choosing to put your well-being in his hands. And when you give to those in need as a Christian, what are you doing? 
You are reflecting the love of God to those people who need that love the most. And in doing so, you are yet again living out your direct relationship with God. As Christians, each of these items directly contribute to you being a righteous person, a godly and an upright person. Because in doing each of these things, as you are called to by our Lord, you are in a very real way living in a relationship with God. Be you talking with him, living in a way that puts your well-being in his hands, or reflecting his love to those who need it most. Live in these three ways, and you will be a righteous person, a godly and an upright person, because you will be living in a relationship with God, focused on God. That is the simple answer to the question that I had about this passage for all those years. And it wasn't until I had this answer in hand that Jesus' concern with those people who were pretending to be righteous, but were really just showing off, came into a much sharper focus. Because while you may be tempted to think that Jesus' concern here is more just of an annoyance, and as such, he's afraid that people won't come to know the Lord because they'll be kept away by these annoying people that are just trying to hit everybody over the head with how holy they are, it's actually a fair bit more serious than that. Because if this is what it means to be a righteous person, to be in a relationship with God in these ways, to talk with him in prayer, to put your own well-being into his hands with fasting, and to reflect God's love for his creation and his people through giving, if those are the pillar of righteous living, to have this kind of close and all-encompassing relationship with our God, then what happens when you instead choose to do as those people that Jesus is calling out in this teaching have chosen to do? Those people who are loudly righteous for their own embiggenment. People who give to be seen by other people, who pray to be heard by other people, and who fast to be admired by other people. How does living like that change this focus? Well, do that make these hallmarks of righteousness about you. And I ask, in all sincerity, are you really demonstrating just how awesome you think God is? Or are you instead shouting at everyone who will listen about how much of a God that you think you are? To live in this way is the opposite of being a righteous person. It is the opposite because in the acts of your life that are supposed to be all about your relationship with God, are supposed to be all about God, you have instead made them all about how highly you think of yourself. This kind of sin has a way of turning into excuses to push other people down and becoming the reason that those listed in the Beatitudes are made to be the least among us as they are now. It has a way of making us sure that we are right and the things that we impose on other people as a result are justified. This is a lesson that this of all weeks with the graves found at that residential school should find hitting us like a ton of bricks. We read that there is no reward in heaven for people like this. That can only be because either you end up against all the people our Lord is for, or because you run afoul of the fact that heaven only has room in it for one God, and that isn't you. Fight against being fakely righteous. That I implore you. And thankfully, 
Our Lord gives us plenty of ammunition to aid in our fight against becoming exactly this kind of fakely righteous person. We can see it in the first part of the solutions, beginning in verses 2 to 4, when Jesus addresses how to give rightly. When you give, don't do it with trumpets. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Give in secret, because when you give to those in need, who is really benefited by making a big show of it anyway? And while all people are called to be charitable in whatever way they can, because there is always someone in need of something, be it financial or not, for how I want to look at this teaching today, I want to say that I think it's fine like to get your tax receipt, but don't worry so much about people knowing how big of a spender you are. If you are concerned that above all else people know what you have done, that has a way of making things worse for everyone because it shifts the focus away from where it should be in the first place, on God. Here's just one hypothetical question for you to give you an example of how just this can happen. If what you are interested in is recognition above all else, then I ask you, would you rather give to a project where it is possible to get listed among the donors, to get your name on something, or would you rather give to a general operations fund? I'm betting that the answer is the former. Now I have a couple of friends who work in finance and charities across the country. Do you want to guess how many of them complain about their organizations having these huge and magnificent infrastructure and programs while at the same time their operating budget that actually keeps people employed and keeps the lights on is on a razor's edge? That's a real problem right there. And while not wholly caused by the issue of self-seeking righteousness, I and my other friends have certainly seen it exacerbated by it. There is also a connected issue to this problem. If you are someone who gives to an organization for your own praise, and then you find out that that organization does something that you disagree with, how would you, who are giving to benefit your own ego, think you should respond to that? I suspect your answer would be either by stopping giving or insisting that organization change their ways to match your opinion of what is right. Now, I do believe that there is a place for activist giving if the problem is big enough to warrant it, but for every instance that I can think of, of this being done right for good reasons, I can name you a dozen more where the mission and its effectiveness as an organization was blunted by some big donor feeling that they had a say because they gave money and didn't like one often very little thing. So when you give, Christ tells us in our passage today, give without expectation, give without strings attached, which is the same as saying give low-key, with as few knowing as possible. There is power found in charity to others, and if you want to give as a reflection of God, as the righteous are called to do, that means not wielding that power for your own benefit and for your own purposes. While things like charity for advertisement with businesses complicate this somewhat, 99% of the time Jesus Jesus' teaching here is spot on. So give in secret and you will know treasures in heaven. Next, we see Jesus show us how to fight against fake righteousness when we pray. We see this in verses 5 to 15. There's two chunks here. In the first paragraph, we are reminded to be more concerned with actually talking to God than letting those around us know that we're talking to God. Make sure to pray on your own. Don't flourish just to sound holy. You are, remember, in a conversation. 
A while back, I came across a wonderful bit of advice adapted from this passage for churches that pray together, as ours does. It is advice that applies namely to praying in public, but does to private prayer as well. Don't treat prayer as an announcement. Don't treat prayer as a form of entertainment. Always try to remember it's not about you. Whether you are on your own or in a group, it's a conversation between you and God. The conversations will sound different depending on who is in it, so don't expect there to be one right kind of way for prayer to sound and for prayer to be. For some people, this is going off the cuff. For others, it might be something wrote down. Also, in conversation, sometimes you gotta remember that you just blank out, and that's fine. You might forget something. Sometimes you'll say the wrong thing, and that's fine too. God knows your heart. In public prayer, the same thing also goes for those who are observing. You are supposed to be praying too. This is not a spectacle. And if it is something that you cannot do without making it into that, then maybe best to stay away from public prayer for the time being. Either way, also pray alone often, where that temptation just isn't there, where there isn't anything stopping you from sharing the depths of your heart. I thought this was good advice, so now I pass it on to you. But Jesus also continues, and in doing this, we are introduced for the first time to the Lord's Prayer. And in it, he addresses this issue of fake righteousness that serves to raise us up in our own estimations and put others down as a result very pointedly. This is a prayer for groups as well as for individuals. It starts with our Father. It's a collective term. But from there, everything in it is about reorganizing how we are to think about our relationship with God and other people. How does this prayer teach us to begin? By hallowing God's name and praying the world that he is bringing where the people of the Beatitudes are lifting up, the kingdom of heaven, that that world comes soon. It's hard to make that address and not see God as above you. Then what do you say? Well, you humble yourself even more. You submit yourself to relying on God for even something as simple as your daily bread. Then you find yourself addressing the question that so often we use to mark each other as greater and lesser. The question of who owes whom what. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others in the same way. A reading that leaves all people on the same level with God above us. Then, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Given the context this passage sees itself in, I would say the temptation to elevate ourselves above others should stand out to us as something that we are to beg our God to stand with us against so that no evil force leads us to do just that. And finally, we are told to once again do all that we can to even things out among us by forgiving one another just as Christ forgives us. If you have issues with fake righteousness and you crave the real thing, everything about this prayer is about addressing that problem by forcing you to see others as your equal with God above all. To be righteous, to be a godly and upright person, that requires prayer. It requires it because it is how we talk 
to God, the only one who can actually help us be godly. All too often when we pray either on our own or in front of others, we take this wonderful gift and we warp it into being about us. But follow these teachings of Christ, pray in this way, even if it's not in these words in particular, and you will know treasures in heaven. And finally, there is the third leg of teaching us how to address the problem of fake righteousness through rethinking how we are to fast. In verses 16 to 18, we see that when you fast, do it in such a way that it is not obvious that is what you are doing. Here, interestingly, Jesus kind of seems to be saying wear makeup if need to, but the point is fasting done right cannot be about you showing off. It has to be about you taking your well-being from your own hands and putting it into God's. There is a special place in righteous living that fasting occupies that nothing else quite seems to. Because if the big goal is to show our God that our lives are in his hands, nothing quite does that as completely as giving up something that we need to live for a time, like food, so that we can rest in our Lord. However, for a lot of people, this isn't really an option. Maybe you have diabetes or a host of other medical conditions that would make this impossible. Maybe you have a history of eating disorders that would render doing this kind of thing kind of reckless. If this is you, know there are other ways to show God that you are putting your life in his hands than simply not eating. At the beginning of every season of Lent, we see that there are countless things to give in food's place. I would posit it is the sentiment that is important, showing God concretely that you depend on him, that you have faith in his ability to care for you. Really, with that goal in mind, in our culture, I would say that there is another thing that may even be more precious for us to give up than food, our time. In the world of Jesus, where food was scarce, what bigger thing could you willingly give up than food? In our time, where food is much more plentiful, and as such, the thought of giving it up doesn't hit us with quite the same punch, it is instead time that we are always afraid to lose unnecessarily. So do you want to fast as Christ calls you to? I say spend time with God. Read scripture, be in his presence, maybe volunteer, maybe take up a spiritual discipline. Journaling is one I find myself periodically coming back to and always finding value in it when I do. But whatever you do, remember that God is the focus, not you, not showing off. As you spend time with our Lord, maybe this means not everything about your faith journey needs to find its way shared with other people either in person or on Facebook or Instagram. Maybe not every brilliant insight that you have benefits this God-first approach if it is smacking other people on your friends list every time they boot the app up. It is okay to be excited to share what God is doing in your life, but when you throw it out into the world like that, maybe it's best you ask yourself very seriously, why? It is okay to let your private time with God remain private. It isn't wasted time just because no one else knows what happened. It is time spent showing your creator that you value him so much as to put the hours of your life that you hold more dear than anything else in his hands. Do this, and again, you will find treasures in heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We read those words in the Beatitudes. So when you give, when you pray alone and with others, and when you fast, 
Work to do this as we are called in our passage today, in a way that puts God at the center, in the way that avoids the dangerous trap of fake righteousness. Do this, and you will know what it means to be truly filled. Our benediction comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let us go now and serve our God.